all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. We also want to thank our latest national sponsor, Veteran Lending Council. It is a community dedicated to educating lenders, realtors, and veterans on the VA Home Loan Benefit Program. You can check them out on Facebook and other social media outlets. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio um, Paul J. Ryan, who's going to talk about the upcoming Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor induction ceremony for 2022. Paul, welcome back to Veterans Radio. Hello, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. We had you on last year to talk about last year's classes, and Paul Ryan is a retired uh, United States Navy captain, and he's the vice chair of the uh, board for the Michigan Military and and Veterans Hall of Honor. Um, So he's a busy, busy guy, and he's uh, taken on the lead here uh, to induct uh, a whole new class of great Michiganders into the hall this November. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor, and we'll start there. Uh, sure, Jim. Uh, the, the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor, we'll, we'll keep it short to Hall of Honor, uh, has only been around for a few years. Uh, our purpose is to uh, not only recognize Michiganders for either their uh, military exploits or civilian achievements, uh, civic, business, uh, professional, education, nonprofit uh, accomplishments after they took the uniform off. Uh, we recognize uh, selected individuals in an induction ceremony. This year will be held in uh, November, November 18th, uh, at the uh, Michigan History Center in Lansing. Uh, but beyond that, uh, our goal is to educate the public and particularly uh, Michigan youth uh, about uh, these individuals and in so doing uh, help to encourage if you will a sense of civic pride uh, in uh, in our country 
in our state and in its citizens. And this is, uh, each year is a group of military um, members who get in and a group of veteran members who get in. How, how many of each do you do each year? And uh, uh, tell us a little bit about how folks get even nominated for this honor. Uh, every year, our goal is to select six individuals in each category. Uh, the military category is uh, 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 reserved for those individuals whose military accomplishments and exploits, uh, bravery, what have you, uh, uh, are worthy of recognition. And then an additional six in what we call the veteran category, uh, those individuals who, uh, as I said earlier, uh, had uh, some noteworthy accomplishment or accomplishments after they took off uh, the uniform. Last year was a little bit unusual for us because of the COVID pandemic. Uh, we inducted uh, two classes last year, the class of 2020 and the class of 2021. Uh, since our first induction class was in 2019, uh, this year, 2022, will actually be the fourth class of inductees that we'll bring into the hall. And if I understand it right, Paul, uh, these folks can be nominated by the public. They're nominated by members of the board. They may be a VSO or somebody has nominated. Maybe a family friend has nominated. So it's really a wide open process, isn't it? Oh, yes. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, the nomination documents and the information for members of the public to nominate uh, individuals uh, for this honor are on the Hall of Honors website. Uh, and even though we're fairly new at this, uh, last year we inducted our uh, first uh, member of the public, uh, was in the military category, uh, nominated by his spouse. Uh, and and uh, uh, he went in uh, last year. Uh, this year, if memory serves me, we have multiple uh, nominations from uh, – well, we did have multiple nominations from the public, about six or seven of them. And of those, I believe uh, two uh, actually uh, are going in this year as inductees. The majority so far uh, in our short history of our nominations do come from our board members. But uh, it's, it's obvious to me that the number of nominees that we are receiving from members of the public has grown. Well, and as you say, they can participate each year in the spring by nominating people. The website, by the way, is mimilitaryvethallofhonor.org. And you can go there and find the bios of everybody who's been inducted in 2019, 2020, 2021. And we're going to talk about the 2022 inductees in a minute here. But I wanted to set up how folks can learn more about the Hall of Honor and that website, mimilitaryvethallofhonor.org. Now, Paul, this is a uh, this takes a lot of time and effort to go through the various um, nominees. And having done it with the board a number of years, every time I say, "Well, all these people are incredible," but we're just going to talk about. Uh, a couple, three in each category that are going in in 2022. 
So I'd like you to begin with the military category and talk about um, those folks who are being inducted and then go ahead and we'll start talking about uh, one of them in particular. Yeah, we, uh, Jim, we have some really great uh, nominees in both categories uh, this year. Uh, the individuals who have been uh, slated for induction this year in the military category are uh, Clement Van Wagner, uh, Alita, uh, Olita Jure Christides, uh, Virgil Nishimura Westdale, Cliff, Clifford Worthy, Joseph Anderson, and Thomas Pluis. Well, each of these are worth a, uh, the full story, but we're not going to have time for that. So I've asked uh, Paul Ryan to um, focus in on half of that military category. So maybe the place to start, because it's nice to see that there's a, a, a variety of uh, uh, men, women, different uh, different uh, ranks, different uh, branches of service. I think that's a goal of the Hall of Honor Board is to make sure that that diversity is recognized. So let, let's talk about Olita Christidis, um, uh, a woman who's going into the hall here. Yeah, uh, a very interesting, fascinating story here, Jim. And uh, starting out in discussing Alita is is uh, a, a great idea because the uh, the, the uh, one of the themes in uh, Hall of Honor inductions is recognizing individuals who have overcome obstacles and faced adversity. And Alita is one of those individuals. She was born in 1897 in Marine City, south of St. Clair. Uh, she served as a telephone operator uh, during World War One with the U.S. Army. Signal Corps. Uh, World War One, of course, was known for a, a lot of uh, technological improvements or changes in warfare, uh, tanks, airplanes, machine guns, and the telephone. Uh, when uh, General Pershing, who commanded the American Expeditionary Forces in Europe, got over there, he realized that uh, there was a need for fast and efficient communication between uh, command headquarters and uh, the frontline units. And telephones were uh, the, the, the way to do that. Problem was that the Army didn't have very many or any uh, telephone operators at the time, and certainly none in Europe. And so the call went out back in the States uh, for telephone operators who at that time were overwhelmingly female uh, to join the Army and become telephone operators. Uh, Alita, at age 19, who was then working for Marine City Bell Telephone as their chief operator and trainer, signed up. Uh, she and many of her counterparts throughout the country uh, then became known as the Hello Girls Brigade in the U.S. Army Signal Corps. Uh, they went to, uh, went to Europe. Uh, Alita and about 30 of her uh, counterparts, uh, other operators, served in uh, General Pershing's headquarters in France. Uh, those female uh, soldiers uh, had uh, the same duties and the same responsibilities that any other soldier in the Army Signal Corps had. 
Well, um, one of the things that's interesting, Paul, is that we don't think about it today, but because communication is so instant. But for General Pershing, who's in France fighting with the French against the Germans, he has to be able to communicate. And there's communication going on in French that's key to the, the various tactics. So these women also had to be fluent in handling, and obviously discreet, handling uh, calls between both you know, generals and officers on the English side, but also on the French side. Yes, and, and Alita was actually one of the lead uh, operators in handling what was known as the French switchboard because she was fluent in French at the time. And remember, this is a girl who was only 19 years old at the time. It, it's, it's amazing. Um, again, you have to think back to what technology, you know, the telephone was technology, not cell phones, telephones. And uh, these switchboard operators... Um, and Alita in particular, they were close to the front. This isn't a, uh, you know, sit back in Paris kind of job, is it? uh, Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, General Pershing's headquarters was in Chaumont, France, and uh, that was a uh, frequent target of the Germans. Uh, Just like in any war, uh, you want to take out the headquarters and the generals because once you do that, uh, you uh, you create mass confusion in the ranks. And so not only did uh, Alita and her fellow Hello Girl, uh, uh, girl uh, switchboard operators, uh, had to uh, be uh, very precise in their technical execution of telephone calls. To, uh, for us today, we, you know, we take that for granted. But back then, telephone was more or less cutting-edge technology. So they had to be very careful about that while occasionally do- dodging uh, the occasional German artillery round and uh, you know, uh, obeying the, 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 the call to take cover. So a uh, lot of stuff going on with this group of females that was part of the United States Army fighting in France in World War I. And again, for folks to think back in time, these are telephone operators who are taking plugs and moving plug A, putting it in hole B, and then from C down to F. You know, there is, I mean, this is old time uh, telephone operators, and they listened in, as I understand it, to the beginning of the calls to make sure the connections are made. So yeah, discretion it was, was, was automatic. Yeah. They, they, they had to get this right the first time, and that was a big challenge. Well, it wasn't smooth sailing for these women. Uh, it was certainly a, an adventure, uh, but even as how they got treated on their way out the door from the United States uh, Army Signal Corps, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the part where uh, we talk about uh, the... Uh, uh, perseverance in the face of adversity for Alita. She uh, comes home in the summer of 2019. The war is over. Uh, she's demobilized. She's out of the army. And uh, she and all other female members of the Army Signal Corps were issued what was known as a service termination letter uh, instead of receiving an official discharge. Uh, now, keep in mind, Jim, that from the beginning of her enlistment right through her mobilization, she was every bit the U.S. Army Signal Corps soldier uh, 
with all the same duties and responsibilities that the guys had, but she doesn't get an official discharge because of that, because this, this sort of second class documentation that she and her, uh, her sisters received, uh, she she and and all other members of the Hello Girls Brigade were effectively denied any veterans' rights or benefits. Uh, really, an, an an injustice that took decades to correct. Alita and uh, others uh, who were uh, Hello Girl Brigade veterans uh, began a letter writing uh, campaign to. Um, uh, change those service termination letters into discharges. Alita even joined a local American Legion post in Marine City. The American Legion was established in 1919 and was recognized as a legionnaire until the national uh, organization um, forced her, in effect, to resign from the American Legion because she didn't have the right discharge. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really one of those stories and, and uh uh, we could spend all our time on her story because it's a lot of women's story. But finally, in 1978, uh, Congress passed, and I guess uh, it was President Carter who signed uh, the bill making the women uh, get to get official certificate of discharge, their DD-214, if you will. And, and she died uh, a few years later, six years later, at the age of 87. But it's a heck of a story, and actually it's one that um, has been part of books and movies. One recent uh, novel uh, on this is Switchboard Soldiers, and we're going to talk to the author of that, and there'll be a future podcast on that, uh, because this story of the, these heroic women needs to really be told more. You've got another interesting inductee coming in, uh, Captain Paul Ryan, uh, uh, Clement von Wagner. Can you tell us about him? Yeah, uh, this is a personal opinion on, on my part, Jim, and that opinion is that uh, we uh, in American society use the word hero uh, in describing military people, I think, a little too frequently. And because of that, it tends to be cheapened. But Clement Van Wagner is the real deal. He is was truly uh, a hero, born in 1914 in Alpena. He was drafted into the Army in 1941 and received a commission as an infantry officer. Uh, Clement served in the European Theater of Operations, or the ETO, during World War II. Uh, he participated in almost every significant campaign in the European Theater, including uh, the invasion of North Africa, which was known as Operation Torch, the invasion of Sicily, uh, known as Operation Husky, and the invasion of Normandy, uh, known as Operation Overlord, uh, landing on D-Day the very first day. Uh, he also participated in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, in uh, each of those uh, engagements, uh, those campaigns, really terrifically hard fighting. Clement personally uh, served over 600 days in combat, uh, with the Army's 1st Infantry Division, uh, known as the Big Red One. <laughs> you got to stop and think about that. Essentially two years uh, yeah, I mean, in look, combat. Look at, look at Vietnam veterans where uh, 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 they were uh, 
in country for barely a year and uh, uh, even shorter deployments more recently. Yeah, 600 days in combat in the European theater. And, and this was serious combat. Tell us about his military awards. Yeah, uh, just a, astounding record of uh, military decorations. Clement received four silver stars. The silver star is our nation's third highest decoration for valor. He received seven bronze stars. He received the Soldier's Medal, which is uh, given for heroism not involving combat. And he received five Purple Hearts, each one for being wounded in action. So being wounded five times, four Silver Stars, seven Bronze Stars, and the Soldier's Medal, making Clement uh, one of the most highly decorated Michiganders to serve in World War II. Just an incredible... Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And these are the kind of men and women who are being inducted to the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor on November 18th, 2022 in Lansing. Uh, Clement retired uh, and and came back to Michigan after World War Two uh, became be, got involved with uh, reestablishing and and commanding the Army National Guard a unit in Alpena. Um, retired as a lieutenant colonel and uh, passed away in 2007, I believe, at uh, the age of 93. Just an incredible Clement von Wagner is a absolute uh, uh, incredible person to be inducted into the hall. It yeah, doesn't, and, it doesn't diminish it anybody else. <laughs> that uh, the VA Medical Center in Alpena is named in his honor. Uh, a very fitting tribute for a true hero. Yeah, and, and all of these people are sing, uh, similarly distinguished. Uh, one is Virgil uh, Westdale. Tell us his story. Uh, Virgil is a, a, a fascinating story. Uh, he was born in 1918 in Indiana. His father was Japanese and his mother was American. Uh, Virgil's father emigrated from Japan in 1906, uh, eventually moving from the West Coast to Indiana, began farming. Uh, Virgil himself uh, and, and his siblings uh, became what would later be called Nisei, second-generation Japanese-Americans. Uh, that word comes from the Japanese word ni, which means two. Uh, when Virgil was nine, his family moved to Michigan, uh, to White Pigeon, halfway between Constantine and the Indiana line. Uh, Virgil went to Western Michigan University and uh, obtained his private pilot's license in 1942 through a government-subsidized flight training program, graduating at the top of his class. He eventually uh, was uh, inducted into the uh, Army Air Corps Reserve as an instrument flight instructor, which was a senior non-commissioned officer position at uh, what was known as Romulus Field in Detroit. Uh, He completed the Army Air Corps instrument and commercial flight training programs simultaneously, finishing at the top of his class in both programs. Uh, For several months in 1943, he was an instructor pilot for the U.S. Army Air Corps believed to be the only Nisei soldier to serve in such a role during World War II. 
Then uh, later in the year, uh, that in 1943, he was demoted to private and reassigned to the active army. Remember, he was in the Army Reserve with a unit of the uh, 442nd Regimental Combat Team. Uh, this demotion and reassignment was likely the result of Executive Order 9066, which was signed by President Roosevelt in 1942, declaring that all individuals with at least one sixteenth Japanese ancestry were to be designated as enemy aliens, regardless of their citizenship. And remember, Virgil was born in the United States, so he was an American citizen already, but uh, that executive order, which really mistreated many uh, Nisei Japanese Americans throughout the country, affected him in that way. It, it, it's you know, and this is his mother's an American. He's gone to college here in America. He's done everything, but this order is is really devastating, um, and as a result, he gets demoted. Doesn't really stop him though, does it? Yeah, well, it it, it, it doesn't slow him down. Uh, one could argue that certainly the uh, the army and the country uh, uh, blundered badly by doing that because now. You've got an infantryman uh, who is uh, his highest and best use isn't being um, isn't being utilized by by the army. Nevertheless, uh, Virgil carries on, and uh, as part of the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, uh, which was uh, which remains the most highly decorated military unit in the United States Armed Forces, uh, fought in Italy and France. Uh, liberating the uh, the 141st Infantry, the Lost Battalion, a ferocious battle in World War II, liberated the prisoners of the Dachau concentration camp. So uh, Virgil did not let this injustice affect him in any way, and he went on to be uh, as, as brave and uh, heroic uh, a, a, a fighting man as every other member of the Ford 42nd. His uh, civilian career, uh, he was a chemical engineer and he had all kinds of patents. Uh, he, he was so committed to aviation, if you will, sort of in retirement, he became a, a TSA employee. Um, I think he just had to be around planes um, and, and uh, you know, was actually selected as a TSA employee of the year at the age of 86. Yeah, Virgil's story after... Uh uh, after he left the army after World War II is one of just astounding accomplishment, as as you uh, you mentioned here, Jim. And I'll tell you that uh, the Hall of Honor board had uh, a, a little bit of a tough time determining which category to induct Virgil in, uh, because he's got accomplishments that are very strong on both sides of the coin, both uh, military and civilian. Uh, in the end, uh, because of uh, Virgil's perseverance through that really shameful behavior by the Army when uh, he was, uh, uh, his pilot's license was revoked and he was demoted and sent to the infantry, uh, another great example of, of perseverance. Uh, I actually met Virgil on a couple of occasions. Uh, he unfortunately passed away in February this year at age 104. Well, an inspiring life, and uh, that's why the Hall of Honor is bringing these uh, men and women forward to inspire others. While the three we talked about are deceased, 
you have uh, additional inductees who are uh, present and uh, some will be at the hall of honor ceremony or their family representatives will be so it's a nice program it takes uh, um, you know an hour and a half sort of thing up in lansing and, and is the public invited oh yes most definitely the, the public is invited there is uh, uh there's no charge it's free to attend and uh, we encourage as many people as possible uh, to come to the michigan history center in lansing on friday november 18th uh, to hear these stories and uh, in, in some cases uh, to interact directly with the honoree. Uh, you know, we, as you mentioned, we have a number of them who are still with us and, uh, and will be there. Thanks to Paul Ryan to talk to us about the upcoming Hall of Honor inductee for veterans and military members from Michigan. We think you'll enjoy that ceremony, so come on out and uh, listen. We'll also put up a podcast that talks about three of the six military members that are going into the hall this uh, fall. So thanks for listening to Veterans Radio. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800 800- Six nine three four eight zero zero, or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at one eight hundred six nine three four eight zero zero. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan, VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. And the Veterans Lending Council, which advises lenders, realtors, buyers about VA Home Loan Program, and you can find them on Facebook. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net, click on the sponsor level and continue to support keeping veterans radio on the air and until next time you are dismissed lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details